This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Practice During Advent by Dom Prosper Geringer. If our Holy Mother, the Church, spends the time of Advent in this solemn preparation for the threefold coming of Jesus Christ, if, after the example of the prudent virgins, she keeps her lamp lit ready for the coming of the Bridegroom, we, being her members and her children, ought to enter into her spirit and apply to ourselves this warning of our Savior. Let your loins be girt and lamps burning in your hands, and ye yourselves be like unto men who wait for their Lord. See St. Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. The church and we have, in reality, the same hopes. Each one of us is, on the part of God, an object of mercy and care, as is the church herself. If she is the temple of God, it is because she is built of living stones. If she is the bride, it is because she consists of all the souls which are invited to eternal union with God. If it is written that the Savior hath purchased the church with his own blood, see Acts chapter 20, verse 28, May not each one of us say of himself those words of St. Paul, Christ hath loved me and hath delivered himself up for me. See Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Our destiny being the same, then, as that of the church, we should endeavor during Advent to enter into the spirit of preparation, which is, as we have seen, that of the church herself. And firstly, it is our duty to join with the saints of the old law in asking for the Messiah, and thus pay the debt which the whole human race owes to the divine mercy. In order to fulfill this duty with fervor, let us go back in thought to those four thousand years, represented by the four weeks of Advent, and reflect on the darkness and crime which filled the world before our Savior's coming. Let our hearts be filled with lively gratitude towards him who saved his creature man from death, and who came down from heaven that he might know our miseries by himself experiencing them. Yes, all of them except sin. Let us cry to him with confidence from the depths of our misery. For notwithstanding his having saved the work of his hands, he still wishes us to beseech him to save us. Let therefore our desires and our confidence have their free utterance in the ardent supplications of the agent prophets, which the church puts on our lips during these days of expectation. Let us give our closest attention to the sentiments which they express. This first duty complied with, we must turn next our minds into the coming which our Savior wishes to accomplish in our own hearts. It is, as we have seen, a coming full of sweetness and misery, mystery, and a consequence of the first. For the Good Shepherd comes not only to visit the flock in general, but he extends his solicitude to each one of the sheep, even to the hundredth which is lost. Now, in order to appreciate the whole of this ineffable mystery, we must remember that, since we can be pleasing to our Heavenly Father only inasmuch as he sees within us his Son Jesus Christ, this amiable Savior designs to come into each one of us and transform us, if we will but consent, into himself, so that henceforth we may live, not we, but he in us. This is, in reality, the one grand aim of the Christian religion, to make man divine through Jesus Christ. It is a task which God has given to his church to do. And she says to the faithful what St. Paul said to his Galatians, My little children, of whom I am in labor again, until Christ be formed within you. 
See Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. But as on his entering into this world, our divine Savior first showed himself under the form of a weak babe, before attaining the fullness of the age of manhood, and this to the end that nothing might be wanting to his sacrifice, so does he intend to do in us. There is to be a progress in his growth within us. Now it is at the feast of Christmas that he delights to be born in our souls, and that he pours out over the whole church a grace of being born, to which, however, not all are faithful. For this glorious solemnity, as often as it comes round, finds three classes of men. The first and the smallest number are those who live, in all its plenitude, the life of Jesus who is within them, and aspire incessantly after the increase of this life. The second class of souls is more numerous. They are living, it is true, because Jesus is in them. But they are sick and weakly, because they care not to grow in this divine life. Their charity has become cold. See the Apocalypse chapter 2, verse 4. The rest of men make up the third division, and they are that which have no part of this life in them and are dead. For Christ has said, I am the life. See St. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6. Now, during the season of Advent, our Lord knocks at the door of all men's hearts, at one time so forcibly that they must needs notice him, at another so softly that it requires attention to know that Jesus is asking admission. He comes to ask them if they have room for him, for he wishes to be born in their house. The house indeed is his, for he built it and preserves it. Yet he complains that his own refuse to receive him. See St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse, six, verse 11. At least the greater number did. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be made the sons of God, not of blood, nor of the flesh, but of God. See St. John's Gospel, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. He will be born then, with more beauty and luster and might than you have hitherto seen in him, O ye faithful ones, who hold him within you as your only treasure, and who have long lived no other life than his, shaping your thoughts and works on the model of his. You will feel the necessity of words to suit and express your love, such words as he delights to hear you speak to him. You will find them in the Holy Liturgy. You who have had him with, within you without knowing him, and have possessed him without relishing the sweetness of his presence, open your hearts to welcome him, this time with more care and love. He repeats his visit of this year with an untiring tenderness. He has forgotten your past slights. He would that all things be new. See Apocalypse chapter 21 verse 5. Make room for the divine infant, for he desires to grow within your soul. The time of his coming is close at hand. Let your heart then be on the watch. And lest you should slumber when he arrives, watch and pray, ye sing. The words of the liturgy are intended also for your use. They speak of darkness, which only God can enlighten, of wounds, which only his mercy can heal, of a faintness, which can be braced only by his divine energy. And you Christians, for whom the good tidings are as things that are not, because you are dead in sin, lo, he who is very life is coming among you. Yes, whether this death of sin has held you as its slave for long years, or has but freshly inflicted on you the wound which made you its victim, Jesus, your life, is coming. Why then will you die? He desireth not the death of the sinner, but rather that he be concerted and live. See Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 to 32. The grand feast of his birth will be a day of mercy for the whole world, at least for all who will give him admission into their hearts. They will rise to life again in him. Their past life will be destroyed, and where sin abounded, their grace will more abound. See the letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 20. But if the tenderness and attractiveness of this mysterious coming make no impression on you, 
because your heart is too weighted down to be able to rise to confidence, and because, having so long drunk sin like water, you know not what it is to long with love for the caresses of a father whom you have slighted, then turn your thoughts to that other coming, which is full of terror, and is to follow the silent one of grace that is now offered. Think within yourselves how this earth of ours will tremble at the approach of the dread judge, how the heavens will flee from before his face, and fold up as a book. See Apocalypse chapter 6 verse 14. How man will wince under his angry look, how the creature will wither away with fear, as the two-edged sword which comes from the mouth of his creator, pierces him, and how sinners will cry out, Ye mountains, fall on us, ye rocks, cover us. See Luke chapter 23 verse 30. Those unhappy souls who would not know the time of their visitation shall then vainly wish to hide themselves from the face of Jesus. They shut their hearts against this man-god, who, in his excessive love for them, wept over them. Therefore, in the day of judgment, they will descend alive into those everlasting fires, whose flame devour the earth with her increase, and burneth the foundations of the mountains. See Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. The worm that never dies, see Mark chapter 9, verse 43, the useless eternal repentance will gnaw them forever. Let those then who are not touched by the tidings of the coming of the heavenly physician and the good shepherd who giveth his life for his sheep meditate up during Advent on the awful yet certain truth. So many render the redemption unavailable to themselves by refusing to cooperate in their own salvation. They may treat the child who is to be born, see Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, with disdain. But he is also the mighty God, and do they think they can withstand him on that day when he is to come, not to save as now, but to judge? Would that they knew more of this divine judge, before whom the very saints tremble. Let there also use the liturgy of the season, and they will learn how much he is to be feared by sinners. We would not imply by this that only sinners need to fear. No, every Christian ought to fear. Fear, when there is no nobler sentiment with it, makes a man a slave. When it accompanies love, it is a feeling which fills the heart of a child who has offended his father, yet seeks for pardon, when at length love casteth out fear. See first letter of St. John, chapter 4, verse 18. Even then, this holy fear will sometimes come, and like a flash of lightning, pervade the deepest recesses of the soul. It does the soul good. She wakes up afresh to a keener sense of her own misery, and of the unmerited mercy of her Redeemer. Let no one therefore think that he may safely pass his advent without make, taking any share in the holy fear which animates the church. She, though so beloved by God, prays to him to give her this fear. At her office of sex, she thus cries out to him, Pierce my flesh with thy fear. It is, however, to those who are beginning a good life, that this part of the Advent liturgy will be peculiarly serviceable. It is evident from what we have said that Advent is a season specially devoted to the exercises of what is called the purgative life, which is implied in that expression of St. John, so continually repeated by the Church during this holy time. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let all therefore strive earnestly to make straight the path by which Jesus will enter into their souls. Let the just, agreeable to the teaching of the apostle, forget the things that are behind, see Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, and labor to acquire fresh merit. Let sinners begin at once and break the chains which now enslave them. Let them give up those bad habits which they have contracted. Let them weaken the flesh and enter upon the hard work of subjecting it to the Spirit. Let them, above all things, pray with the church, and when our Lord comes, they may hope that he will not pass them by, but that he will enter and dwell within them. For he spoke of all when he said the words, Behold, I stand at the gate and knock. If any man shall hear my voice, will open to me the door, and I will come in unto him.
See the Apocalypse chapter 2, verse 20.